Welcome to the RSM Talk Big podcast, helping you invest well, understand money and achieve the best tax outcomes. Your hosts today are Andrew Sykes, Chris Oates and Young Han. Hello everybody and welcome to Talk Big with RSM. I'm your host today, Andrew, and I'm joined here with your regular hosts, Young. Hi everyone. And Chris. Hey everyone. G'day, guys. And we're also joined today by Michael Milton, OAM, Australia's fastest skier and one of our best-known athletes turned small business owner. Michael's going to talk to us today about his new venture, Quizic Alley, and how the Harry Potter merchandise has been doing during COVID. Michael's a great athlete. He's a skier, cyclist, and triathlete. With six gold, three silver, and two bronze medals, he's the most successful Paralympian that Australia's ever seen in the Winter Games. His other achievements include racing in the Mark Webber Challenge in Tasmania and undertaking the gruelling 293-kilometre coast-to-coast Kokoda Challenge and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. After a long and successful career, Michael's now a business owner with retail stores in Canberra and Sydney. Like many small businesses, Michael's been impacted by the current lockdowns. Today, he's going to share his journey through the lockdown and also some ideas on how his business is adapting to the new environment. But before we jump into that, Young's going to run us through a quick overview of assistance available to all businesses and also just some interactions and feedback with clients. Thanks, Andrew. Um, The Commonwealth and state territory governments have been working together to provide various assistance for individuals and businesses impacted by COVID-19 pandemic. For individuals, COVID-19 DSTAR payment has been provided each week if you have lost at least eight hours of work. It's a state has announced various assistance for businesses to keep their doors open so that we have workplace to get back to at the end of this pandemic. These are provided in combination of ongoing payments such as New South Wales Job Saver and Victoria's Business Cost Assistance Payment. Another one of grants depends on the state and size of businesses. We have been assisting our clients with assessing their eligibility and application process. Most of them were fairly straightforward. However, for businesses with multiple locations have been tricky to navigate as these businesses were not allowed to get support from multiple states. Even the support from one state isn't enough to support multiple business locations. So how have most of your business clients found it young? Are they making it through this process okay? Well, some have been very difficult. So we actually had to go through their bank statements to pick the right period for the comparison because picking the right period meant whether they're going to be eligible or not. Yeah, I heard that. Some businesses were being asked to provide evidence of decreased turnover despite being closed down. What was the reaction to that? Well, it's like, how do we actually prove that there was no income received? So I had to ask them to generate a blank bank statement for that period, even though there's no transaction happening. And also some kind of email um, um, with clients showing that they no longer proceeding with the quote or any bookings. Young, when you talked about the the period, picking the right period, how does that, that work? Is it a month, a couple of months or 
what is the time period that you had to work through with clients? So it depends on which um, stage you're in. For for ACT, it was seven days um, before the lockdown period and seven days during the lockdown period. Oh, great. Cool. Welcome, Michael, and welcome to our podcast. And thank you for coming along, mate. Great to have you here. A bit of a fan, I'll admit that. So before we get into business, uh, I'd really like to ask you about some of your sporting success. What what really sticks out for me and I found fascinating was the uh, downhill skiing record. How do you prepare to break 200 kilometres an hour on skis and, and what's it like? I guess there's lots of preparation involved in terms of physical, the equipment side of things, which is obviously, you know, a little bit like a Formula One car. It's all about aerodynamics. But the big preparation and the hard preparation all happens inside your own head. And it's very much about, um, you know, training. If you can do 20 runs at 180 and then some at 190 and slowly ramping it up, then, you know, it's not such a big deal. You develop that speed tolerance. It doesn't feel as fast as opposed to, you know, going from 160-kilometer-hour runs, trying to go to 200 from there would be, you know, almost impossible. So you use lots of little mental strategies, you know. I'm only going a little bit higher. I'm only going a little bit faster than I've ever gone before, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, you know, there's lots of things you can't control in terms of the environment, the snow, the weather, and, uh, you know, basic sports psychology. You, You focus on what you can control, which is your own performance and your own mental state. And what's it feel like standing up the top there, ready to go? Oh, you know, it's it's everything you'd expect it to feel. It's, uh, you know, number one is scary. You know, the big part about speed skiing that's relatively unique in terms of sport. You know, there's plenty of sports that are won by the athlete who's fittest and strongest. Plenty of sports who's won by the athlete or team with the highest skill level or the best technique. But there's very few sports that are won by the person with the best, I guess, mental skills and discipline to be able to control that fear. And so when you stand at the top, you experience all of those kind of the fear, the what ifs, and you put in place your strategies to uh, distract yourself away from that, to focus on what you can control, to focus on your performance. And that's what it becomes all about. What an amazing achievement. Out of everything that you've done in your career, What's been what's been your personal favourite moment? Oh, I think my personal favourite, and this is going to sound a little bit bizarre, but um, there was a training run that I made in Threadbo. Um, and at the end of the run, I just went, you know, that's going to be as close to perfection as I will ever get. And I will never be able to do that with, you know, in a big race or with the professor of performance or anything. And I guess it's probably different to what most people think. But, you know, one of one of the things I really like to strive for was um, the unachievable perfection and the personal satisfaction of, of realizing that I've just come as close to that as I'll ever get for me was a huge, huge satisfaction. Just, Yeah. The joy of doing it very well. So you obviously still enjoy competition and what goes with it. Are you, are you still looking to compete at the elite level? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm way too old and way too fat. And, um, you know, I uh, I like to compete these days against myself and, and 
that's what it becomes about. It becomes about um, competing against yourself, against what you might have done um, in, in recent history rather than ancient history. And I guess um, that leads to my question. After such a successful sporting career, how have you found the transition to running a business? It's totally different. Yes and no. I guess, you know, you don't come into a business like this and you don't come out of a sporting career with no skills and no experience. Um, whether it be the experiences of growing up um, in a retail environment with my parents' um, retail ski shop, um, working in different environments throughout my career, I come into this with skills and experience. So, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of things that are different. I probably, um, you know, there's probably pretty similar levels of motivation. Um, maybe not quite as similar levels of fun mm -hmm. um, because, you know, being a professional athlete, especially in a sport like skiing that, that you know, I just have a lifelong love and passion for, um, you know, there's ways I can make my business fun. But um, at the same time, as in any area of life, there are always going to be things that are not fun. And um, perhaps a pandemic falls into that category. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's different. It, it's a, a long-term, um, you know, grind as opposed and, and probably less variation in terms of work to what I would be doing as an athlete. Um, but, you know, I, I find it immensely satisfying and, and what we've been able to create with the environment, with our customers um, has been absolutely fantastic. That's great. Um, and then another question, I was looking through your shops and it's all about Harry Potter. So why did you choose that? And when did you actually open the shops in Sydney and Canberra? So um, for those who don't know anything about Quizicali, we are a small retail business. We opened in Canberra in September 18 and in Sydney in December 2020. And uh, we... Um, I guess when we when we first had the concept, um, and it was really interesting, uh, I was walking out Mount Warning with my kids. You know, it's a four-hour bushwalk hike, young kids who are seven and nine, and, uh, you know, you've, to get kids walking and make that work, you've got to keep them busy and thinking about anything but the walk, mm -hmm. the pain in their feet, just distracting them. And so we wound up with this four-hour Harry Potter quiz session. And we're just talking about Harry Potter. We'd all watched all the movies and books. And we had uh, my daughter had just read the Cursed Child story. And, um, you know, we just had a, a great time quizzing each other. Um, and then the next day I was driving south from Byron and I thought, if we open a Harry Potter store, I can play a character. Mm -hmm. My name's Michael. I have one leg. So I can be nearly legless Mick which uh, comes from Harry Potter, if you're not a fan, nearly headless Nick, who's played by John Cleese in the movies. Um, so, you know, we can just have fun with it. And I guess that's one of the key points about what we do here is that um, it's business, sure, um, but at the same time we're working with a product that we have a passion for. I went to university to become a primary school teacher and and interacting with kids on a daily basis and, and all of these things, I guess, um, lift that fun level that we were talking about before to, uh, to, to something that could be fun. And I guess also a big motivator for me in the end was the fact that I'd been a ski bum my whole life and that was reflected in my resume. So nobody else would give me a job. <laughs> that certainly makes your job very interesting and more fun. Um, out of all that fun moments and how it started, do you have any particular very difficult time that you want to share? 
Oh, you know, there's there's obviously um, challenges where they're, you know, starting the business, particularly something as unique as what we do. You know, we're not following anybody else's path. We're, you know, creating our own recipe. And so, uh, yeah, you know, whether it be trying to fund the startup in terms of startup stock and fit out, et cetera, um, developing, I guess, expertise in the look and feel, which is super important. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, many times many people would think in the modern era, even pre-COVID, that you're crazy going into retail. Um, but to make a store that's unique, that's a real experience to visit and be here physically was a key part of what we tried to achieve back then. And um, I think it stood us in good stead pre-COVID, perhaps post-COVID and, and during this era, um, that uh, all of that work and effort and investment into a physical premises um, uh, is perhaps a bit wasted, but we're crossing our fingers we get back to that um, in the not too distant future. Yeah, you're right, Michael. Starting a business at the best of time isn't isn't easy, and even just running one um, definitely comes with its challenges. And you throw COVID into the mix. You said you go through your the tough times. Um, so, how has the pandemic actually impacted the business? So, I guess at the start, obviously, the the first thing that hit us was cancelling um, about a hundred birthday parties. So, we our store is structured so we have a retail space, and then we have a wizarding themed party space, and we run uh, somewhere eight to ten parties a week. And so, we're pretty in demand, so we're getting booked um, three months plus ahead. So, uh, yeah, trying to take um, that liability because we're taking their deposits. Um, and, uh, canceling parties and canceling that volume of work is, is, is definitely a challenge. Um, something that was probably, um, something I'd done before actually, because, um, in the middle of my public speaking career, um, I had about 20 public speaking gigs booked and I got cancer and had to cancel them all. And, uh, you know, saying no to work like that, saying no to income like that, certainly a big challenge. Um, adapting into a, a, a period, particularly during the first lockdown, where we, we had some physical trade, people could come to the store in limited numbers, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, developing expertise and resources. We, we run live streamed Harry Potter trivia every Wednesday night. Um, which is is hard work, but is a great way to, for us to continue to engage with our audience, our customers, to show them new products that are arriving to drive online sales. Um, so they're, they're all things that we've kind of pivoted into and developed ex expertise around. So I think I've hosted about 25 um, nights of trivia now, um, which actually turns into 50 because we do one for um, younger our younger audience based on the first three books, and then we do a full-on adults in-depth um, one later in the night. So um, it's, a, it's a busy time. Um, the second lockdown uh, has hit us harder, partly because, you know, in the middle of that, December 2020, we expanded into our Sydney store. Um, so we've got two stores two sets of rent, two sets of wages, et cetera, uh, and um, a longer, more restrictive lockdown um, has definitely hit us harder. And so, um, you know, we really are just trying to hold on until we can reopen and then um, doing what we can, which is limited at the moment, to invest into stock for Christmas, which is obviously a great opportunity to uh, try and recoup some of these losses. Yeah, it's... You're right, being in small business and you said just before that 
turning down income and turning down gigs, it's not an easy thing to do. And because small business is all about keeping that revenue coming in the door. And do you think when you look at the impact of small business versus big business, has it been shared equally or do you think there's a big um, difference between the two? Well, I think, you know, um, I think every business is, is going to be unique and different and particularly something like what we do. Um, you know, there's there's no doubt that, um, you know, JobKeeper was a, a great program for us in 2020, being able to hold on to our staff, being able to lean and use their hours for them coming in, knowing that basically they were paid, was a great resource and a great opportunity to get into some projects that we, um, you know, wouldn't normally have the resources for in terms of, you know, just stock take and cleaning up our sales data and, you know, lots of that sort of stuff. Um, again, this lockdown has, has seen a, a real difference in the structure of support. And, um, you know, in many ways, it distances us from our employees. There are plenty of our employees who are getting a Services Australia payment for a reduction in their work hours. But as soon as we give them some work, maybe half what they get normally, they're getting less support out of the government. So it's a disincentive for us to get them into help. And as an owner, um, as an owner operator, my wife and I basically have been taking on a lot of those kind of jobs and responsibilities that we would love to get our staff in, maybe not at their normal hours, but at reduced hours. But it's such a disincentive to for them to lose that government funding and then, um, you know, change in circumstances. Maybe we won't, uh, won't be able to give them that same work next week, depending on online sales. So, you know, you can't, can't just switch on and switch off those government payments. So there's certainly challenges there. Um, and there continues to be challenges um, given the structure of our business um that we run two stores in two different jurisdictions under one abn means we're only eligible for one set of government support and um you know certainly that wasn't something uh that we realized until late august um when the act government support offer came out and we went oh god we're not eligible for anything and so that's definitely um uh, you know, thrown the budget and projections and things that we'd had that we kind of, you know, assumed we'd be eligible because we are 85% down on trade, et cetera, um, really through through a skirtball. Yeah, and you mentioned in the two jurisdictions, just how did you go about working, working out what you needed to do in one state and what you had to do in the other or whether it was worth applying in one state or the other one or, yeah, how would you go about that? Well, I guess, you know, Sydney went down first. So, um, you know, we went through the New South Wales government system, um, you know, followed the steps. It's all relatively well explained online, got some support from our accountant and went through the process of applying for, for government support in New South Wales. And that was great. Um, so, uh, you know, that wasn't hard. And, and, you know, as soon as the ACT system um, was released and we realised, hey, we're just simply ineligible, um, then uh, there's nothing more to do there except occasionally um, you get an announcement of another $26 million of ACT government funding that you're not eligible of anything for. So uh, that's a bit of a kick in the guts, but uh, that is what it is. Well, that yeah, we, we actually did have some cases like that and it was really difficult to kind of assist with our cl- a client to figure out which one was best for them because, you know, the, the rules were keep changing, the grants were keep changing. So I can certainly understand what you've gone through. Um, so if you do have a magic wand and maybe getting some magical 
a power from Harry Potter. <laughs> what kind of assistant <laughs> do you think you'd really need right now? <laughs> I do have magic wands. I have a shop full of them. <laughs> um, however, um, uh, I, unfortunately, I'm still a muggle. Uh, what sort of support would I like? You know, I mean, um, I guess that direct government support model um, is one that, you know, who doesn't like direct injection of cold hard cash? Some of the schemes in terms of, um, you know, rebates on electricity and costings and, and those sorts of things are great. But again, you know, that delay is, is problematic um, and uh, it's something we haven't actually gotten to yet in terms of claiming that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I understand that the, the federal government rules um, – mean you can't double dip and you can't claim in two states. But I guess that eligibility means that you are ineligible for not only the federal government funding, but the state government funding as well. Um, as a business, it's 85% down. I quite like the Victorian system where you've got to be 70% down to be eligible as opposed to 30. And so that direction of support that's, um, you know, a little bit more focused on a narrow audience um, sounds pretty appealing to me. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what would I like? Um, I'd, I'd, yeah, you know, I'd like something to support my business in the SCT. Um, and you know, I'm, my, my expectation is not that it would be at the full level, but that I would get, you know, maybe the ACT half that they're putting in. Um, that would be great. But at the same time, I need to be able to let go of that because it's, you know, I've lobbied to the to ministerial level, et cetera, and um, that's not going to happen. So, uh, you know, we need to move on from that and be focused on what we can do to maximise our online sales, minimise our costs, and try and make sure we're still here when Christmas comes. Thanks for that, Michael. Some great points there, and it's great to get some insight into how it's uh, impacting on a real small business. But lockdowns won't last forever. Are you starting to plan for recovery yet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we've recently had some great announcements of roadmaps out from the ACT and New South Wales governments. Um, I've been planning for a number of weeks on um, working towards a potential opening date um, and hoping that can happen. Um you know, I'm in a, in a really fortunate position where basically all of my staff, and there's about 20, um, have all been vaccinated, um, et cetera, or at least one dose at the moment. So uh, that's something I don't really need to worry about too much, and that makes my life pretty easy. But there's there's lots of things from training our staff to deal with more problematic customers, particularly in jurisdictions where there might be unvaccinated people excluded from, from the store. Um and, uh, you know, looking for problems, even things like, you know, what if we get an unvaccinated delivery driver? Um, how, how do we deal with that in terms of, uh, you know, in theory, by the law, at times we might not be able to allow them into the store. Therefore, we might have extra work for our staff to do to bring um, bring a shipment into the store. So there's there's lots of things there. It's a little bit complicated in our Canberra store. We'll buy a party room because we um, the party room will open at a different date to the retail outlet. It will have number capacities based around a four square meter per person density limit, and uh, and we also need to think about. What will our customers feel comfortable with? Will they feel comfortable with a group of people coming into a party space indoors? Um, and, uh, you know, we've probably decided that we need to wait until after the kids are back at school 
to reopen that space. So they're used to kind of congregating in a group indoors. Yeah, some challenges ahead. And speaking of what's ahead, what's uh, what's next for you, Michael, and for uh, Quizic Alley? I think, you know, um, the focus, we're certainly, you know, not thinking about expansion or anything else. We're, we're thinking about um, how to make sure we're here for Christmas and uh, how to make sure that we, um, you know, continue what we've been doing and continue to offer a, a great experience to our customers and hopefully a, a great experience but a safe experience coming into our store as well. Um, certainly there are probably some opportunities next year just given the explosion in online shopping, how do we replicate some of the experiences that we offer people in store in a more online environment? Um, so there's there's some opportunities and some plans and some ideas there, but at the same time, when you're in the middle of, of a crisis, um, you're probably thinking about more immediate stuff than, than too much forward planning. Thank you, Michael, for sharing your journey and some great insights. Thank you to my co-host Young and Chris and to our listeners today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to Talk Big on your favourite podcast platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Talk Big. Create, save and protect with RSM.